Uh, our missionary prayer for this morning, too, is Usha Soren, the only female, the only Bible woman. We pray for some wives in our missionary group, but Usha is the only single Bible woman we, we help support through Gospel for Asia. So let's pray for her, and we'll look at the scriptures together. Father, we do thank you for our friend Usha, a young gal we've never met, but uh, we know of. Uh, thanks that we get to participate with her in her sharing the gospel and discipling uh, primarily women and children in India. Lord, she does have avenues of availability to families that uh, the missionary men would not. And Lord, we pray again that you would continue to defend and protect her. She's more vulnerable than the men in that culture especially. Protect her and let her see good fruit from her labors, Lord. And Lord, if it please you and be the desire of her heart, give her a husband if that's something that would be beneficial to her. But thanks, Lord, for her participation in the gospel and that we get to be a part of that with her. We appreciate that. Lord, thanks for all the great ways you've blessed us and blessed the families in our midst. Thanks for the changes that we've uh, employed this last semester Sunday schools have been great and uh, it's been encouraging times thanks for your goodness to us Lord in innumerable ways we entrust ourselves in this time to you in Jesus name amen starting a Christmas series this morning it's December Thanksgiving's over there's no excuse Christmas season is here for sure the last hurdle sort of was Thanksgiving. I'm not even sure Thanksgiving is over before Christmas season's here officially for the advertisers. But we'll do three messages. They all start with W, so they're easy to remember. Witness, worship, and wonder. Witness, worship, and wonder. And we'll start obviously with the first of those today, and that is witness. I think it's interesting. You guys have probably heard this, but if you do studies on what people are afraid of, what their major fears in life of. Uh, one of the ones that's always at the top of the list is speaking in public. Speaking in public. You know, like guys do when they teach, like this, you know. Terror, anxiety. Or, you know, if you're in college and you do a public speaking class or anything like that, if you've got to speak in public, speak to a crowd, to a large group, for most people, this is at the top of their list of fears and anxieties. I think that's kind of funny. But that's it. There it is. I'm also convinced, though, for most of us, for most Christians, maybe Carrie accepted, witnessing, what we call witnessing or sharing the gospel with others, ranks right up there with public speaking as far as our fear levels or angst or anxieties, things that we're just totally uncomfortable with, feel out of our skin over if we talk to each other, talk about sharing the gospel, call it what you want, evangelism, We'll call it today witnessing. I'm convinced, and I've talked to lots of Christians, and I'm one myself. Most of us find the thought of sharing the gospel, witnessing, very, very intimidating, very scary. Witnessing should be, at least at some level, easy, right? If you were called into a court of law to be a witness, you might feel a little angst about the setting. But once you get on the witness stand, what do you have to do? All you have to do is tell it like it is. All you have to do is answer direct questions directly. That is, what you know to be true, what you're a witness to. This, this isn't simple. You don't have to figure anything out. You don't have to make anything up. You don't even have to be 
convincing. You just speak what you know. That's being a witness. If you remember when we've looked in John earlier, the Greek term martyr means witness. To martyr meant to be a witness. And of course, today we think of its use more related to death because, of course, so many Christians in the early years of the church, they witnessed to Christ through their death. So for us, it tends to mean to witness through death, but the primary term there means also, again, just to witness, to bear witness. Now, it's true that the Christmas season is certainly marginalized by many for many different reasons. In fact, I don't, you never know what's an urban myth anymore or what something has been propagated on the Internet, if it's true or not. I read uh, or heard something about Target. I've got emails. One was Target. Target won't let the bell ringers out front. Is that true or not? I don't know. Another one, it is true, okay. Another one was a Merry Christmas or a Merry Christmas. Did anybody else get this email? Something about an association. They're trying to guard the phrase, maybe Merry Christmas. And meaning as opposed to happy holidays or some other secular version related to the Christmas season that didn't include Christmas. And I don't, again, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know where, where I got this one from, if this is true or not. But certainly in many different ways, the reason for the season, at least for Christians, those who know Christ, Christ Mass, Christmas, uh, is Christ. But for many others, it's not. That being said, though, it's still a great opportunity because we do have the historical aspects are still present related to Christmas. It really is an opportune time to witness to others about Christ, who he is, what he's done, and certainly, hopefully, at some point, what he's done for us, for us individually. Um, Also, think of it this way. To witness normally means to speak, right? If I bear witness of something. Normally that means I'm talking, but in the Luke 1 and 2 passages will be in this morning, and you can turn there if you want. We'll be there almost solely. It's interesting that the first witnessing that we're going to look at this morning related to the incarnation is a silent witness. Silent witness. We are just talking in Sunday school. Arguments from silence are normally not very persuasive, but we're going to start this morning with the witness of silence. Starting in verse 11 in Luke 1, this is the story I'm sure you're familiar with. This is old Zechariah the priest, who for the one time in his life is lighting incense in the temple in Jerusalem. And while there, an angel appears to him. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw him. Fear gripped him. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zacharias. Your petition has been heard. Remember Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're old like Abraham and Sarah were old. But they've been praying for a little baby for a long time, and that's the petition. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Verse 15, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Verse 17, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, that is, before the Lord, in the power and spirit of Elijah, the end of that verse, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, well, how will I know this for certain? I'm old. My wife is advanced in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Behold, you shall be silent 
and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. When he came out, he was unable to speak. They realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Now, I love this. I mean, our first incarnational witness here is a silent witness. Can you imagine? They know something's gone on because he's in there too long. And when he finally comes out, you know, and they're, what, what, what gives? You were in there so long, we know something happened, and now he can't say a word. And you can imagine, I mean, I don't know sign language, and he didn't either, I'm sure, and he's trying to tell them, you know, ooh, ah, whatever. But it's a silent witness. The first uh, witness to Christmas, as it were, is a silent witness from Zacharias. And of course, later, as we'll see in Luke, he's going to have a, another a verbal witness, too, here in a bit. But this is great. The first witness to Christmas, to the incarnation. Remember, the importance of John is not John. John's the forerunner of Messiah. John's the one who prepares the way for the Lord, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And it's a shame, sort of that his first witness is silent, right? Because his silence is, in fact, a, a judgment for unbelief. He would have spoken. In fact, think of it this way. If he believed, he would have come out, and he would have been able to tell these people before his wife even knew, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have a son, not just any son. We're going to have Isaiah's forerunner to the Messiah. But he couldn't because he didn't believe. And I love, you know, I can see Gabe looking down his nose at Zechariah when he says this, like, do you know who I am? Do you know where I live, where I'm from? You should believe what I tell you. You know, but instead, his silence is the judgment. You should have believed, Zach, but you didn't. But it is, it's a witness of a kind. Even the, the judgment through silence is a witness of a kind. And after all, some witness is better than no witness at all. Some witness is better than no witness his silent witness is not ideal, certainly. But let me stretch this out. Sometimes our witness is silent, and that's okay. You know, his, his witness, silent witness, sign of judgment on him, not great, but there's still a witness there, and they still find out what's going on. And, of course, Liz still gets pregnant. This is interesting, too. I love the phrase there at the end of the passage where the angel says, my words, you didn't believe my words, but they will be fulfilled in their proper time. Sometimes you and I are slow to believe what we should believe. But in God's economy, that doesn't matter. Your, your lack of faith and my lack of faith, it doesn't stop God's program. He's going to do what he's going to do. And that's comforting to me. Because as often as I blow it or don't get it right, I love these words. See, Zacharias didn't believe, but God didn't withhold the son because of it. He'd pick these guys anyway. He was going to use them. That wasn't their decision. It wasn't their faith. It was God's doing. I love that. Anyway, some witness is better than no witness at all. And frankly, lots of the witnessing you and I do is silent. That is, it is not the words of our mouth. It is the life that we live. Let me read you these verses out of 2 Corinthians 3 related to silent witness or lifestyle witness. Paul says this, you, you Corinthian Christians, you are our letter, your letter, written in our hearts, and you're known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ. 
That is, to this group of Christians, Paul says, guys, you're like a piece of mail. You're a letter. You're a piece of paper that's been written on. And everyone that sees you, they read you. They read you. So you and I, we're witnessing all the time. Even when we're not speaking about Christ, we are bearing witness. In fact, he says, being shown or manifested that you are a letter of Christ. Sometimes we look more Christ-like than others. But Paul says, you're a letter. You're just like that piece of paper that has writing on it. People walk up and they read the writing. And he says, a letter manifested of Christ. The thought is this, as a Christian... You've got the Holy Spirit and God is transforming you into the likeness of Christ. And hopefully, when people look at you and I, our silent witness is Christ's character being developed in us more and more fully. It might be like that piece of paper that some of the bad writing gets erased and some of the new, better writing gets written on. I mean, none of us are there, certainly. In this lifetime, we're all going to blow it. We're going to have some illegible writing. That's testimony to Christ or testimony to who we used to be. But Paul says you're that letter. And whether you realize it or not, you are bearing testimony to Christ. You're giving witness. You're the letter. You're giving a silent witness all the time by the way you live your life. Or this in Titus 2 verse 10. This is interesting too. You read Titus... uh, you know, Titus is the emissary from Paul, but he's laboring in Crete. And, you know, the Cretan Christians are, uh, they're, they're not a, a good lot. They're a sorry state of affairs there in Crete. And Paul says to Titus, for this group of Christians, he says that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Adorn the doctrine. And think of it like this. If I get dressed up to go someplace, if the gospel is the clothing I put on, for instance, adorning the gospel is my cologne, you're a lady, it's earrings, it's the way you put up your hair, whatever. It, it makes what you're wearing look better. It makes you look better, so to speak. Does this make sense? Paul, when he's writing to Titus to tell these no-good, dirty Cretans who are now Christians, still living like Cretans, He tells them, guys, your life should do something. They should adorn the gospel. So that when you verbally communicate the gospel with others, your life, your silent witness, should make it better. It should enhance it. It should lend validity to it. It should make what you say verbally make sense. Because someone sees the living demonstration of it in the way you live your life out. So... Paul says to the Corinthians, you're a letter. Everybody sees you. Everybody can read the writing of your life. It's supposed to manifest Christ. To the Cretans, to the Cretes, through Titus, Paul says, hey, you're supposed to adorn the gospel. This isn't your verbal testimony. This is the way you live. So for you and I, we need to do a reality check sometimes to see what is our silent witness like? What does it look like? When people read our letter, the life that is our letter, do they see Christ? Or when they look at the life that is our adornment of the gospel, is the gospel, is, that is, is the message about Jesus, who he is, what he did, and what he's done in our life, is that enhanced? Is our verbal message, is our verbal communication 
enhanced because of the way we live our life. Hopefully, again, because God's work in us in this lifetime is to conform us to his own image, this is something that obviously develops more and more over time. None of us have arrived. But as a general rule, when people think of you, are you giving off? Are you the kind of letter that manifests Christ? Is our lifestyle adorning the message about Christ? Uh, If you want a reality check on this, read John's first epistle. Read John's first epistle. The reason I say that is, John, in some ways, he's the simplest of the writings, and he's the most profound. Um, Read 1 John, and read it with this thought. How does my life look compared to his acid tests of faith? Because that's what they are. He asks questions like, do we love fellow Christians? Do we love indeed? Or do we just talk about it? He asks us questions like, do we tell the truth? Or do we lie? Are we characterized by righteousness or by sin? Do we love Christ? Or do we love the world? His epistle is an acid test for your faith and mine. So if you're thinking, what kind of letter am I? And what kind of aroma am I giving off? What kind of adornment am I bringing to the gospel? Read 1 John. See how you stack up. It's a good acid test. You and I give silent witness every day, every place we go. We can't help help it. It's a fact of life. That's the way it is. And ask yourselves, what does my silent witness communicate to others? What does my silent witness communicate to others? Well, let's move on to Luke 1, starting at verse 67, and Zacharias is going to regain his tongue. The time, the period of judgment's over, and this is at uh, little John the Baptist's circumcision. This is when John gets his name, and Zach, Daddy, and Mama are there, and the relatives are gathered around, and you remember Elizabeth has said his name's John. They say, hey, nobody's named John. They ask Dad, what do you think? Remember, he's been writing while he gains his tongue. Starting at verse 67, his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, this would be little John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord, to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. When Zach gains his tongue, he really lets loose. And I want to mention three things here, three components of his witnessing here at John's circumcision. The first is this. Hopefully, as you heard this, you recognize some Old Testament themes and references. His his witness here, his prophetic praise and witness is full of Scripture. 
It's full of Scripture. It's full of the Old Testament. He's talking about the oath to Abraham our father. He quotes Malachi, the son of righteousness. There's many other references here. When Zacharias gives witness, he does so by quoting or referencing God's word. When you and I bear witness verbally with others, this is, this is strategically important. The, one of the best things you and I can do when we share with others is to share what God has said. God promises to use his word. You and I have opinions on many things, and you know many of them are worth you know, about that much. They're opinions. They're our words, our thoughts. God has not promised to bless your opinions or mine. He has promised, though, to bless his word, that it would be fruitful. You remember in the example in Luke when Jesus gives the illustration that the Son of Man takes God's word and he throws it out there. See, lots of it, it doesn't, doesn't come to much, right? But some of it does. And you and I, we don't know what's good soil. We, we look at other people. That's, that's the soils, of course. We don't know whose heart is good per this illustration or not. We don't know. So we're supposed to spread the word out there. And as we do, the word, part of the testimony we want to share, the witnessing we want to do should be simply to say what God has said. What has God said? When you and I talk to others, it's no small thing to have scriptures memorized that you can simply share as God brings them to mind as you're talking to others. This is hugely important because God will use his word. He's promised to. When Zacharias here witnesses in praise, he's quoting the scriptures to those around him. And he's saying this is what God said would happen. And here it is. So when you and I are talking to others, think about this. What has God said about what we're talking about? So that as you witness, you're, you're witnessing with God's word because he's promised to use that. The second thing you can't help but notice in this is Zechariah's joy and his enthusiasm, right? I mean, he just lets loose. He's been silent for nine months now, so maybe that's part of it too. I can finally talk. But when he does, boy, there's enthusiasm and there's joy in his witness. And think about this. Have you met people, maybe salesmen, who try and sell you something and their demeanor is so depressed or low or whatever, you just think, why do you bother talking? Do you know what I'm saying? Versus someone who's enthusiastic, overflowing, as it were, with the theme that they're sharing with you, what's your attitude towards listening to one versus the other? You know, someone who's enthusiastic about what they do, in fact, uh, I've gone to conferences, Rachel and I were at one, I told her this has kind of become my rule of thumb. I might read a topic that I find highly fascinating, but I'm not sure about the speaker. And then I might have a speaker that I think, well, what he's talking about doesn't sound that interesting. But you know what I found? I'll go to the good speakers every time because they'll make anything they're talking about interesting. And I could pick a great topic, but I could go to a so-so speaker and he might take my great topic and it might be boring as mud. But the guy who's an enthusiastic teacher, he'll make even what's not at the top of my interest level, it'll be interesting because the good teacher makes it interesting because of their own enthusiasm. Well, Zacharias, he's full of, if nothing else, enthusiasm and joy here. 
And when you and I are sharing with others, witnessing about Christ, either who he is, what he's done historically, or what he's done in our life, by, by all means, we ought to be enthusiastic. We ought to be full of joy. We should overflow as he does here. You know, even if you feel like you've got a bare plate on earth, say you're a Christian, you feel like you've got a rough life here, and many Christians do. You know what? You know where you're going. You know that you won't pay for any of your sins. You've got joy, pleasures forevermore in God's presence. This is no small thing. As bad as it may be on earth, I can say, thank God I'm not paying for my own sins. Thank God I'm not going to hell for eternity. Thank God I'm going to be in a place where there's no tears, no fears, there's joy, there's goodness, there's pleasure. That's my future. You know what? Uh, Enjoying the little things of life as I do, I can get enthusiastic about this. No pain? Sounds pretty good. Good things to eat, feast in heaven? I can get enthusiastic about this. So all I'm saying is, no matter how bad we've got it at times, and frankly, most of us don't have it very bad at the worst, but no matter how bad we feel it is, we can be enthusiastic about our future. We can overflow with a good theme about our future and the potential for someone else's future in heaven with us, with Christ. We can be full of joy and enthusiasm about that. And when we witness, we ought to have that. Um, can you think of Jonah? I mean, people were saved under Jonah's preaching. I mean, you know, the sourpuss on the edge of town walking through, you know, this guy, get saved or burn, you know, whatever, the way he went through. He didn't want to see him saved, but God, in that case, God used his word. Even though Jonah wasn't full of joy and enthusiasm, God used his word and turned people. But in this case, Zach is overflowing with joy and enthusiasm as he witnesses here. And the third thing is this. Did you notice at the beginning of this, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you can read in the scriptures, there are passages, there are times when the Holy Spirit sovereignly comes on people to accomplish his purposes. And it's not because they're doing a great job at the time. It's not because they're so holy or pious, though sometimes that's involved. It's because the Holy Spirit is doing something. And so he uses them. And he uses Zacharias here. But, you know, we are commanded as Christians to be filled with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. And if you're a Christian, if you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And even if we don't describe our state constantly as full of the Spirit, as we'd like to be, as ideally we would be, We can still be controlled and led by the Spirit. We can still be walking by the Spirit. We can still be saying, Lord, what do you want for me? Related to this, I think there's two key verses that I want to share in this context. We know we have the Holy Spirit. We know we're commanded to walk with the Spirit and in the Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit's in us to lead us, to guide us, to manifest the Father and the Son to us, to empower us for ministry, and that includes witnessing. There are things you and I can do, though, that minimize the ability to hear from and be led from the Holy Spirit. It's this. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Paul says, Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't pour water on the fire the Holy Spirit is starting. I think in generally, quenching the Holy Spirit generally means something like this, saying no to what the Spirit is saying yes to. Saying no to what the Spirit is saying yes to. Frankly, um, I still 
find pain when I remember the times that I have consciously said no to the Holy Spirit. And by the way, each one of them is a witnessing uh, context. All I had to do was open my mouth. It was like God put water in my mouth. You know, if I open, it'd spill out. That's all I had to do. And I didn't. I quenched the Spirit. It was not good. And I knew I blew my opportunities. You know, here I am, weekend, Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Lord, use me. And then all I have to do is say something. See, he always catches me off guard, though. That's the problem. If he tell me the day before, okay, I'm, I'm leading up. Here it comes. You know, like, okay, Mike, here's the pitch. It's coming. It's coming. Okay. Then I think I'd be okay. You know, he doesn't do that. And I think for numerous reasons. But anyway, so don't quench the spirit. Don't say no to what the spirit's saying yes to. And then the other one is Ephesians 4.30. Don't grieve the Spirit. And I think generally don't grieve the Spirit means this. Don't say yes to, to what the Spirit's saying no to. That is, don't be occupied in things the Spirit doesn't want you occupied in. So as we witness, if we want to witness, as Zach did here, with the power of the Spirit, with the influence of the Holy Spirit, we can't be living a life in which we're grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. He's not going to be doing those things with us. It's not as if we lose the Spirit. We don't lose the Spirit. You know, Matthew 28, how is God with us always? How is Jesus with us always? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you to the end of the age by His Spirit. We've got the Spirit, but we can make the Holy Spirit unhappy, as it were. And you know, when, when the Spirit's unhappy, generally we're unhappy. That's not a good state to be in. But Zacharias, he quoted the Scriptures when he witnessed he was full of joy and enthusiasm when he witnessed here. And he was full of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you, th- you put those three things together for you and I. That's effective witnessing. That's effective witnessing. Uh, the next one, next witness here in Luke uh, 2, 8 is angels. Now, I don't propose that you and I are going to uh, witness as the angels. But they, they do have a witness here in Luke. And then they pass the baton of witnessing, as we'll see. But this great passage out of Luke 2, verse 8. Do we have any Linuses in the midst? I thought we did. Linus, I'll bet you know this passage. In the same region there were shepherds staying out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said, Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. The angels are witnessing here in Luke 2. You remember what angel means? It just means messenger. They're doing what messengers do. They're witnessing. They're sharing the message here to these This poor, dumpy group of shepherds, you know, out on the hills outside this little no-name town called Bethlehem, kind of down in the suburbs outside Jerusalem, the important place. But they share the message. The angels do what angels are supposed to do. They bear witness. They share the message God had given them from heaven. They pass the baton to the shepherds at verse 15. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They came in a hurry. They found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, 
they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. The shepherds witnessing here, this is about as uncomplicated as it gets. And think about this for just a minute. When the shepherds witness after viewing the Savior, there was no intricate evangelistic campaign. This wasn't a crusade. It didn't involve buying any television or radio time. There was no committee called to determine how to do this, and they didn't do any demographic research either. You know, we wonder how any evangelism, any witnessing at all occurred. All these guys did was they heard the message, they went, they saw the baby, and then when they left, they told other people about what they'd heard and seen. That's what witnesses do, right? This is as easy as it gets. You know what? Anybody can be a shepherd witness. All you do is you tell what you heard and what you saw. And that's what they did. You know, I'm fascinated when I think about this later. Of course, the Gospels compress Jesus' life, and there's not much on the front end. But you know, when Jesus was 30 years old, how many people in Israel remembered, were still alive, and remembered those shepherds telling them about this baby? Or how many people later heard, remembered those funny guys dressed funny from the east that came and they said they were looking for a king? You know, this stuff would have come back. And actually the later gospel stories don't, don't touch on this, but you know there were people who were still alive. And they had the witness that was 30 years old that they remembered. Joe the shepherd told me he saw this baby under a star down there in Bethlehem. This stuff would have been bearing fruit, this witnessing, so to speak, 30 years later when Jesus comes on the scene and claims to be Messiah. There were, still would have been people remembering these things. I love it. But anyway, this is uncomplicated witnessing. This is the witnessing you and I can do any day. All they did was they just told the other people they met what they'd heard and what they'd seen. Uncomplicated, easy. Anybody can be a shepherd kind of a witness. It's not hard. It's not complicated. You don't have to work anything up. And the last witness here I want to look at, this one's you're never too old to be a witness either. You're never too old to be a witness. Where's Evelyn? Okay. Uh, Luke 2, verse 36 by the way, Simeon, and this is in the temple grounds. Uh, Jesus has been brought by Mary and Joseph up to the temple, give the offering as re required by the law of Moses. And Simeon has just talked to them about who this baby is. And following his testimony, his witness, there was a prophetess. We'll read about Simeon later. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, that is the moment Simeon has talked about who Jesus is. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. 
I love this because uh, this is kind of a witness, not just of the age, but this is witness of someone who's really interested in something particular, sharing that same interest with someone else. Uh, let me give you an illustration. If Stan and I are car fans, and I find a place to buy these great cars, and I know Stan's excited about cars too, then when I go to Stan, I know that I've got a receptive audience in Stan to say, Stan, you've got to go check out this new car lot because they've got great prices, honest salesmen, all this stuff. See, I know Stan wants to hear what I have to say because he's interested in what I'm interested in. Well, see, old Anna, did you notice this? She shared this with those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's been waiting for the Messiah. She's been looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When she goes to share, she's going to her friends. Maybe they're old too. And they've been waiting for the Messiah too. And so she goes to them and says, I found him. He's here. He's arrived. And Simeon pointed him out. And then I went up and saw him too. The Savior of Israel is here. And she's telling this to people who were like her. They were like-minded. They shared the same passion. And she went up and told them about this little baby brought into the temple. You know, witnessing evangelism is not always to a hostile group or environment. You don't have to travel to a foreign land to people who don't speak your language. And many times witnessing doesn't even involve apologetics. You don't have to defend what you're saying. Sometimes witnessing is just telling someone else that you know is interested in what you're interested in. Uh, when I was a brand new Christian, and I didn't know 2 plus 2 spiritually. Joe, I don't know if you remember any of this. Uh, I remember going to a party, and I'm embarrassed to say these things, but to get drunk, I didn't, as I said, I was a brand new Christian, and, and I, I didn't know up from down yet. I just knew who Christ was. But I remember I'd read Romans, and I was fascinated by Romans where it said... Uh, this was the New Living Trans, or excuse me, the Paraphrase Bible, the Living Translation. Is that it? Am I saying that? The Living Bible, yeah. You know, be a new and different person in all you do and say. And I was tired of being constrained by the thoughts of trying to fit into someone else's mold. I love this verse. I love the imagery of it. And so I went and shared with my good buddy before the party, Romans 12. Because, see, we love to read and we love to talk about the books we'd read. So I knew Tagen would be fascinated by Romans 12 because I knew he was interested in what I was interested in, see? I didn't know there was any issue here. I didn't know enough to know there was an issue here. So we talked about the scriptures before the party. But see, the point was, I was sharing something that I was interested in and passionate about, enthusiastic about, with someone who I thought would be too. He wasn't that enthusiastic at the time, but that was okay. All I'm getting at is, see, this wasn't hard. It was easy because I was just sharing my interest with someone who I knew would share a similar interest, something I just read, see? We weren't talking about The Hobbit stand as we normally were, Tolkien's books in these days. We were talking about Romans, see? But I assumed I had a an audience that shared my interest. Well, that's what old Anna did. It wasn't evangelism or witnessing to a hostile crowd. There was no work to it. She went and told her other, maybe her other widow friends. 
or maybe the other people that hung out at the temple that weren't there at that time. She went and told an interested group about something she knew they'd be interested in. This was easy. This wasn't hard at all. In, in Luke chapters 1 and 2, we've got silent witness. Sometimes a good thing. We're, we, are all, we all bear silent witness. Sometimes silent witness isn't good. But we want to be that letter known and read by all men. We've got witness filled with praise and the scriptures. We've got witness by angels, which we don't primarily aspire to, but angels pass the baton to shepherds. And as we said, everyone can be a shepherd kind of a witness. And then we've got witness of an old woman who's just sharing something of interest to her with others who she knew would also find it interesting. Somewhere in this list, I'm getting down to this, somewhere in this list, you can find yourself. Or maybe we find ourselves in each of these kinds of witnessing at one point or another, or with one person or one group or another. The the important thing, of course, in the end is this. It's are you, am I, are we consciously witnessing? We're unconsciously witnessing, silently at least, but are we consciously witnessing? And I say this going into the Christmas season. When you and I write a Christmas card or note, is it one of those innocuous things that means nothing, that says holiday greetings, like businesses send to other businesses? Or is it personal? Does it say something about who Christ is or what he did? Or does it at least say, and sometimes most importantly, if you know the people you're sending them to, what has Christ done in your life? Are you bearing witness this Christmas season in one of the easiest ways to do so, in your Christmas cards and letters, or in your Christmas greetings to others? On the witness stand of life, are you and I telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Are we doing what a witness is supposed to do, related to the person of Christ, who he is, what he's done, and what he's done for us? And think of it this way, too. What a shame if the Christmas season comes and goes and we have been only, only silent witnesses. Silent witness is a great thing, and it's great to affirm and adorn the gospel. But guys, in the end, witnessing is about what we say. And Jesus didn't tell us to silently witness. He says we will, but we are supposed to verbally communicate a message, that is, the gospel. You know, Paul says, Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That is the good news about Christ. This must be communicated. That means writing and or speech to communicate it effectively. This Christmas season, we've got an opportune time again. And this Christmas season, what a shame if the season comes and goes and we don't take any opportunity to witness about Christ or about what he's done for us. And listen, again, some people view witnessing like going to the dentist's office, you know? I'm going to get a shot, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be painful, and I really don't want to go there. I would rather think of it like this. Think of it as a walk with your dad. And you're going to walk with your dad, and somewhere along the way, he's going to point something out to you. Not threatening, and you're with your dad, you're walking with him, and someplace you know he's going to ask you to, Junior, go get this, or Junior, go get that, or Junior say this, or junior, say that. Not threatening. And if you find you're like me, and that means that oftentimes uh, when push comes to shove, when I'm in those situations, I want to swallow hard instead of speak. 
Just ask the Lord, Lord, the next time the opportunity comes, help me to say yes instead of no. Help me to say no to the fear and yes to you. Don't make it something you've got to go out and do by gosh or by golly, by your own strength, by your own might. But say, Lord, I want to honor you in witnessing. So help me to do that silently in the way I live my life and verbally. And help me to be saying yes to you when you give me these opportunities to witness. It's not going to the dentist. It's walking with your dad. He's not going to threaten you with something outside your ability to control. You know, There's no temptation that's approaching us that we're not good to go because he's with us. So Christmas season's here, and I believe one of the things God wants us to get out of the season is to put something into it, and that is to be a witness, to be a witness. Let's pray. Lord, it uh, strikes me uh, because of my own character and character flaws how easy through fears it is that we refuse, at least verbally, to be your witnesses. Lord, help us to so highly value you, to so appropriately fear you and respect you. Lord, to so love you and desire to honor you that we want to be your witnesses, Lord. That we want to witness more than we want to preserve what we think is our good reputation in front of others or whatever else, Lord, whatever other fear would constrain us. Lord, thanks that we don't do anything on our own, that your spirit is in us to accomplish your work in us and to speak through us Father, help each of us this Christmas season to see the ways to apprehend the times that you're giving us to be your witness. And Lord, help us to do it joyfully and exuberantly. Help us to have your word in our mind and in our mouth so that we can share that with others. Help us to be ready, Lord, to tell others what you've done and what you've meant to us. Lord, may you use us this Christmas season in a way that brings others to you, in a way that we say thank you for the gift of yourself in your incarnation. In Jesus' name, amen.